0: hi and welcome to the perpetual stew with matt and sarah i'm matthew goodman i'm sarah merle and uh, so sarah uh what are you eating
1: and what's eating you uh well today i had um the entrepreneurs the small business special for lunch um which was um A bologna Lunchable um, that I ate um, partially in the car and then partially uh, while I was peeing, actually, and uh, drank a coffee with it at the same time. So um, it was delicious. I feel quite satisfied. And uh, What's Eating Me is um, I was listening to the new... I love this Jack Harlow person, this 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 rapper that the kids love, and his latest song, I don't know what it's called, honestly, because I'm old, um, <laughs> but it samples um, Glamorous by Fergie. And if you want to feel old, just be driving down the road, just kind of like bopping along to a song and realize that the pop culture of your youth is now the reclaimed <laughs> barnwood uh, that the cool kids are building their, uh, their barn dominiums out of. Um, and I realized then that the song was cool, like, you know, between 15 and 20 years ago. And um, I celebrated i celebrated a year with my guy last or this week, which is pretty cool. Congratulations. But, thank you. Um, but in that, I had this, like, you know, terrifying shower thought that I was like, you know, I was joking that he's old enough to be my dad, technically, which like, but I'm also old enough to be his kid's mom, which is like a real hmm. fun fun math fact about just (laughs) being alive during linear time so isn't that isn't that fun um so anyway linear time that's what's eating me what about you what are you eating and what's eating you (laughs) well i want to make a couple comments first uh lunchables fantastic
0: i never i was never allowed to have them as a kid uh because my mom thought that was like cheating yeah um so i always you know I always had great envy for other kids' lunch
1: meals. (laughs) I think the Um, only reason that my mom got them for me is I just like browbeat her about it like I did with Fruit by the Foot. She's just like, fucking fine. Like, I'm a gourmet. It's fine. I'm just a gourmet cook that starts cooks all your meals from scratch. But sure, have some plastic lunch. It's fine. Damn, I
0: would have demanded like sweet ass bento. (laughs) I expect all of my lunches, all of my school meals to look like an animal. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if you, by the way, if you want to get really engrossed in a YouTube channel, there's a one where um, it's basically a upper middle class, you know, Japanese salaryman's wife who just like makes all of his beautiful lunches and posts them on uh, YouTube. It's pretty great.
0: Goddamn, that sounds really relaxing.
1: It's it's pretty awesome. And then you realize like, oh wow, this is completely backwards. Like this is like I'm just watching someone's nineteen fifties life evolve in the two thousands, the 20s. Although
0: she's managed to turn it into into something. You know, I'm saying, it sounds like it's a form of, of art or self expression at this point.
1: I think it really is, because the videos are very, very beautiful to watch. It would crack me up if they tasted like ass. And he was just <laughs> like
0: he's like, honey, please. <laughs> please <laughs>
1: It looks, no, awesome. right. it looks pretty awesome it looks pretty looks pretty delicious anyway I interrupted you <laughs> No that's excellent um, so I uh, also
0: had a busy day today so I ate a frozen pizza for the yes. first time in a very long time <laughs> um, and uh, frozen pizzas have improved a lot It's amazing yeah I give them I give them credit for that and uh, what I'm eating is... <laughs> Okay, this sounds ridiculous, but I decided that I was going to make a YouTube playlist of all my favorite uh, K-pop videos um, <laughs> of my uh, of like the last, you know, I don't know how many years, five or six years. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have to keep searching them. Instead, I'd have them in in one <laughs> lovely, easily listenable uh, place. And when the list hit like four hundred something or like that, I was just like, I then it made me think of two things first k-pop produces a lot of great shit and second how capacious the quote-unquote genre of k-pop is even um within a single artist's uh work over the last like three years so uh it made me it made me think about and appreciate the art form a little more
1: I, was, I get. I have to ask: Is this kind of like, uh, is this your like old man rebellion, or do you just like not prefer like Spotify or a streaming service, or, or is it not licensed to those platforms?
0: Well, the thing I like about K-pop is they always uh, on YouTube in particular. You, there are always like eighty different versions of awesome. the song, yeah. yeah, with different performances, different recordings. Some's live. Anyway, some of it's like the full music video. Some's just the dance practice. So sometimes I prefer different versions. Um, So like Mian, she's in G idol, which is a great group. She has a solo album and the version I like best of the song is this very easy breezy, like open mic style that she does outside with, with a band with in front of cherry blossoms that are blowing in the wind. And she is beautiful. The music is beautiful. Um, The background is beautiful. The crowd is super excited and like, I vastly prefer that to the uh, any other version of that song.
1: So what you're telling me is, uh, K-pop is basically like your fish, and this is like your uh, your tray solo sessions. Like you just want to see like it's not about the it's not about the album version. You, know, you want to <laughs> yeah. hear that really electric one from you know Savannah, Georgia in 1999. That's what you want.
0: Exactly, and I'll often have like four versions of my fa- uh, of a song. <laughs> Um, or of a performance, and I just happen to like these particular four out of the many, yeah. many that are available. And it's something I wish American um, artists did more. Is and I don't know why why they don't is produce multiple of uh, easily available versions. Yeah. Um, so that fans can sort of curate their own share. Um, like there's this. So Yuki also. If I'm just gonna stay on G Idol because you know all the because <laughs> I love G Idol. <laughs> love yuki is a chinese member of g idol and she has an extremely low voice for a woman and you know so g idol is mostly known for their hip-hop um but she does she has this great song called bonnie and clyde uh, awesome. that came out a few years ago and she never did like a live punk version and i always thought it would make a good punk song until like literally last week she did a live punk version of it where she plays the guitar solo sweet and it's one of the hottest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> uh, and also, it's my favorite version of the song. So, like, add that one. And <laughs> so any of you, like, if all you know about K-pop is, is BTS, um, it's just this wonderful, and I've said this, I think, before. It's this wonderful rabbit hole of almost, like, pure joy that you can mainline. So, you know, it's pretty awesome and do it
1: the fandoms though on k-pop are some of the most rabid (laughs) fans like whatever you know it's like whatever you thought like screaming crying girls in for the beatles or new kids on the block or whatever it is like they they don't have shit on k-pop fans they're literally called armies and i feel like that's quite indicative of kind of the level at which most people are invested emotionally yeah and
0: there are not only fandom names so to stay on the g idol train their their fandom is called neverland awesome um which i think is great but they're also anti uh stan groups that, right that, that take their own names <laughs> that are like riffs or making fun of the other one anyway I, I don't like the haters groups but they're out there <laughs> and but it does make a difference that like la Sarah Theme, um which a uh, new girl group that released a big fan fanfare by the same um uh company that uh, has bts uh hybee um They came out, but then bullying uh, accusations from from many years ago uh, came out against one of their members who's now on a hiatus while it's being uh, investigated. So, like, the one thing I do like about uh, some of this is that they are asking often, maybe sometimes a little overblown, but they actually do want their idols to be admirable people, too.
1: I know what, what, what is wild to me is that, like, you know, these are teen, you know, these are teen idols. So, you know, a lot of them are, whatever, 15 to 22. And they're still expected to, like, get all A's in school. And, like, uh, you know, you're supposed to, like, if you're, you know, in your 20s and you're supposed to get a degree, you're supposed to still get your degree. You're supposed to do really well in school on top of being a pop idol. It's wild.
0: Yeah, the idols are generally just immensely immensely talented in a million different ways um it's very difficult to be successful in the industry if you're yeah some sort of raging horrible person to work with because no one no one wants to work with you and you're not going to be able to do all the collabs and other things you need to really succeed
1: so i mean um, it's also yeah. it's a it's a pop machine it's like the same you know cube staker steak cuber that chewed up britney spears you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah.
0: Although I, they they do a good thing where they weed people out during their training period to see what because you, you training is so incredibly stressful and incidentally <sighs> the cost of your training you do have to pay
1: back. You oh, take on I know. training debt and you do have to pay it back. Um that's exactly how uh recording albums re- recording contracts work in the United States. You're charged against your contract against your uh, advance uh for the cost of your recording or choreography or whatever and a lot of those are you know as much as like a as much as like a very powerful corporate attorney you know by the hour oh it's
0: it's extremely expensive on the upside though is that by the time the idols debut quote unquote um, they're already veterans the reason yeah. they all these k-pop idols seem to emerge like you know 16 18 year old but with perfect poison can do their choreo perfectly they don't a- end up deer in headlight's Ashley Simpson style. Ugh oh, boy. Uh, yeah, it's because they've been under high stakes competition for years already at that point. And Oof. if they weren't emotionally and mentally strong to take the pressure of being under immense scrutiny, uh yeah. they would have cracked earlier. So you only really it's very dog eat dog, but the upside is you d- you end up with like, you know, fewer Amy Winehouses.
1: Uh speaking of which, um, you're talking about versions of songs. One of my like favorite moments of recent pop history is that uh the particularly the bbc live recording of amy winehouse singing valerie which is a cover of a zuton song is one of her uh highest ranked and most played songs which is really really funny to me because the uh I don't know. I just think that's, I think that's great. Back to that point about sometimes individual versions of songs are way better than, you know, caring about the the perfect album version, you know?
0: Exactly. Uh, I think that, and one thing K-pop does do well is it allows by being part of groups and then having solo projects, you end up with a lot more diversity in discography. Um, They're not expected to produce, um, full album worth in a particular genre they can produce five or seven songs in that genre and then their next release six months later will be totally different you know
1: i think i I do think that's like a a real benefit of you know like the we talk about gen z the kids uh but you know they they are very very culturally agnostic which i Mm -hmm. think is you know it's kind of positive for their overall exposure uh but yeah it's interesting
0: I love I love the gen uh, I love Gen Z. I definitely identify with them a lot, um, and uh, I have to say that if sometimes I'm not cool enough to be Gen Z, I'm way too old and way not not cool enough. But what I do love is how global they are with their tastes, how willing they are to yeah. really like weird shit, uh, and, and and not be apologetic about it.
1: Or just like you know, I mean, the the K-pop is such a great example of that. It was like, um, you know, that it's it's. It doesn't really matter that they're singing in mostly Korean. You know what I mean? It's like, have you heard the beat though? Like it's yeah. fucking dope. Like it will make you want to dance. It doesn't matter if you don't speak fluent Korean, which I think is really awesome.
0: Yeah, and if you ever want an example of this, SM Entertainment, one of the big group, uh, one of the big uh, uh, entertainment companies, produces some biz- highly bizarre music. Like Espa in particular. Um, like their song Savage there's this great YouTube channel called React to the K and it's like classical like classically trained musicians uh, all reacting to K-pop and really breaking it down and they're reacting to Savage which was one of the uh, big songs that Esper released last year and they're getting into arguments about what key it's in and then some of them (laughs) are saying like it's in no key Uh, and it's a strange freaking song the song is very very weird but it was a massive smash uh in korea and, and with k-pop fans generally and it's something that a major studio in the united states would never in a well, million years put that kind of marketing muscle behind
1: i mean do you know i've i've said this factoid before because it's displaced so it's so mind-blowing that it's displaced necessary information but do you know what the most downloaded song was worldwide in the year 2013 no idea it was somebody that i used to know by Gautier, which is one of the weirdest pop songs that's ever been released along with crash test dummies "Mm -mm," song (laughs) like another like just like you know, you want to talk about, like, a total worldwide consumer rebellion. Like, yeah, I'll take the one that has a uh, xyrof- xylophone, um, nylon guitar, Spanish guitar. Uh, what else? What What other? Oh, and then, like, the weird bling. <laughs>
0: Ding, ding. And then you know it releases I mean? nothing ever again.
1: Nothing. Bye. Later. Yeah. I'm I'm good. I made, I literally on nine cents a download, I still became a multimillionaire. So I think I'm good. I think I'm done gambling with the long plastic hallway to borrow a phrase from Hunter Thompson.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy we're starting with something like joy inducing because we're about to go down the world's probably, like, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> of oh. the federal court system uh and the administrative law system which are separate things and uh i have to say that if we're talking about long plastic hallways this is more <laughs> like a hell mouth <laughs>
1: uh. okay so then let me let's let's kick us off let's start with like what what is what the fuck started this conversation with us wanting to talk about Uh, the circuit court system and and um, all this business which is that a bunch of really bizarre I mean not just bizarre but like potentially catastrophic um, decisions have come out of the fifth circuit which covers Texas and other places and uh, I was I wanted to talk about that and also I wanted to talk about like the circuit system because when I was growing up and my dad was listening to uh, current uh, resident of hell uh, Rush Limbaugh and was would often call it I forget Oh my god, he had something, he had some name for it that was both mocking and also, like, dog-whistling anti-Semitic, and I think it was, like, the the Ninth Circus Court of Schlemels or something, and, uh, <sighs> I, yeah, right, I mean, of course. It's, he's, he's in hell, I, I mean, there's no, that's why, that's why on the episode where we celebrated his death, I drank a whole sh- bottle of champagne on the, on the podcast, but anyway- but I just remember thinking, like, how is it possible that, that a court system becomes this politicized? And so, first of all, what, what is the circuit, sy- circuit court system? What is its purpose? What does it do? And, and I guess in this situation, like, how has it become politicized like so many other judgeships in the last you know, 40 years? So it's
0: actually really useful to think of this as a pyramid,
1: okay. <laughs> the federal court system
0: as a pyramid with the Supreme Court on top. Because okay. it also gives you an idea of the number of cases uh, uh, at each point yep. on the pyramid. So the higher you go, the more powerful, but also the fewer number of cases actually come before the court. Okay. So if you have the Supreme Court as the tippy top, taking just a, a handful of cases, you know, I think like sixty cases or something like that a year, mm-hmm. and the ring in the slice underneath that is the uh, federal court system. Okay. And that's divided into pieces. You have the uh, at the lowest level, you have the district courts, and then at the level above that, you have the court of appeals. Okay. So the federal court system is meant to deal with cases that either ha- that that have to deal with federal laws, because most you know most suits ha- happen in state courts because they're dealing with state laws. Right. That either deal with federal laws. Or have litigants from different uh, states, different jurisdictions. So okay. let's say I'm a resident of California, and um, you, and you're a resident of New Jersey. There's no overlap between of the between us. These are called diverse <laughs> diverse litigants. Um, it might be hard to figure out how to uh, have this handled in a way that's not. That doesn't give a home field advantage. To to know that to see which uh, which state's laws should be applied, you can ask for removal to a federal court to handle okay. it. The second reason it has to do with it. It deals with like purely federal or constitutional law. Is another way to have something properly be. They call it a forum. Have its proper forum in the federal court system.
1: Okay, so I'm going to try to break this down into layman's terms so we can keep kind of like a whiteboard bullet point version of what we're. So the uh, federal court system exists to either adjudicate conflicts between, let's say, football teams that are in different conferences or the rules of the NFL itself.
0: Yeah, with the the federal laws, the laws that are not specific to each individual team, each individual place, but... Uh, uh, apply equally across to everyone great perfect yeah. okay so there and- are 12 circuits okay um, and they don't they're not uniformly sized
1: <laughs> that was that was my next question was how are they divided and who gets to decide is, is there like a, a constitutionally laid out way to divide the circuits or no so
0: this is not actually part of constitutional law because they're not mentioned in the constitution Great. Okay. So they're actually created by – the Constitution was basically like Congress will set up the courts. So it was a delegated power to Congress. So it's all set up – this entire system is set up by acts of Congress so that it works. So when it was first set up, we only had three circuits. And then the additions of the circuits have basically been historical happenstance. So okay. as you can imagine first circuit was uh, mostly based in well you can imagine in Boston right yeah. it's east coast it's northeast it's Maine Massachusetts New Hampshire Rhode Island and Puerto Rico why Puerto Rico belongs in there historical weirdness okay right and then the second circuit obviously is Connecticut New York Vermont again very clearly inflected by uh, history, and the Third Circuit, Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and the Virgin Islands.
1: Okay, great. Right.
0: So then they keep adding, and they don't do a great job. (laughs) Basically, as more states come in, we have to start setting up more stuff. So you can imagine they start marching south and east, uh, west and and south. Great. So that's why you wind up uh, with some of them getting rearranged over the they do get rearranged over the years but they're roughly in chronological order although after the ninth circuit comes in there's some weirdness that comes in so like for example alabama florida and georgia are part of the 11th circuit uh there was just a reorganization at the time so that's where they wound up and that's why the 11th and the last circuit doesn't have a number it's just called the dc circuit oh sure of course yeah Now, to give you an idea of the population imbalance between them, the Ninth Circuit, which is the largest circuit, uh, has 67 million people in its jurisdiction, like 20% of the U.S. population. Cool. Probably fine. Probably fine. Uh, And the D.C. Circuit, uh, which is the smallest population, covers a little under 700,000 people, or two-tenths of 1%. Of the American population I want to note the DC circuit is the most powerful one
1: Great, good This is all good So what I'm hearing is that uh, Once again, power divisions have been done uh, Equitably and reasonably
0: (laughs) Yes As most things in the law This is very much an arts and crafts project uh, (laughs) Where we just sort of Stapled shit together with like Chewing gum and duct tape as we went
1: in the uh, in the surgical world, they would call this a Whipple procedure, which is uh, what what it means when either you get like some like your guts are blown out, or you just got so many fucking tumors that they just kind of stitch together something that looks like a continuous tube that goes from your mouth to an N exit hole somewhere, right? So like when you say like oh he needed a Whipple, that just means like ooh yikes, that means it was a real puzzle in there of just putting. Openings to closings, and hoping that the poop makes it to the hole. So, yeah,
0: even less planned out than the human centipede.
1: Yes. Oh, way less, much less.
0: Okay. Um, So, let's say you're a litigant, right? Let's say you're, you file court, you file suit, uh, and it's a constitutional claim. So, it's going to be in federal court, right? Okay. So, first you start, you file your claim in the district court of where you want it to be, right? Win or lose, let's say you appeal, then you would go up to the court of appeals for that circuit. So maybe okay. you're in the maybe you're in like where I went to law school is like the Eastern District of Missouri. Okay. All right. You're like okay. So in the you're in the federal courts uh, in Missouri uh, in that particular district. That's your district court. That's your trial court. Okay. Then when you go up to the court of appeals, right? That's when you wind up in the Eighth Circuit, which is where Missouri is. It's the Eighth Circuit okay. Court of Appeals. Okay. Then win or lose, if you're going to appeal, then you have to apply for a cert uh, at the Supreme Court. Okay. Does that make sense? How that? Yes. Moves its way through. Yes, absolutely. So that is the general idea of flow through of a of a case flow through the circuit system through the can I federal ask
1: court system. Okay. Can, can I ask a question real mm-hmm. quick? <clears throat> so when you said choose choose where you want your lawsuit to be filed it and it sounds like uh the way you phrased it that you could choose to file it in a court that might be more favorable to your case based on the history of the the appointed judges but is it bound by anything yeah. is it okay
0: so it needs to be either it needs to have some tie to that or uh, the strongest theoretical tie to that particular jurisdiction, to that particular place. So for example, if you and I are litigating a case, uh, and you know, you're in Indiana, I'm in Nevada. We can't choose. I can't file in like Texas. Right. Unless Texas was actually involved in some substantive way in which it would actually be the most logical place. Uh, Like the fifth circuit would be the most logical place for it to be adjudicated.
1: Okay. Next question. Uh, when we talk about that, like, Ken Paxton, uh, da, 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 king dipshit of <laughs> <clears throat> um, Texas, the Texas AG, um, who is, by the way, under investigation for, like, a lot of corruption charges and just, like, keeps getting to do his job and run for office again.
0: Shocking.
1: Whoa. um you know, he brought the suit uh, against Twitter and all these, you know, California-based companies. So is that a way, like, if you're, you know, if you're in Texas and you're the Texas AG and you're a fucking dipshit who needs to win a bunch of um, points with voters, would that be something that you would do to get it to a favorable court if, you know, you know how, like, AGs get together and they have, like, um, like conventions and shit? Yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, like the, the AG whatever convention is like overwhelmingly very Republican. And like, is this something that they might've talked about before and Ken Paxton said, I'll file it from Texas so that it will end up in the, at the fifth circuit. Yeah. Is that possible?
0: Yeah. I mean, cause, and cause you know, Twitter does business has users in every state. Right. Uh, all over the world. So technically, if an AG were so inclined, they could make a good argument that, you know, since this impacts the the voters in their jurisdiction, the people who citizens there, they have a perfectly reasonable uh, connection. Twitter has certainly availed itself of the laws <laughs> uh, in that particular jurisdiction. So sure. And if they think the Fifth Circuit's going to be friendlier, it makes more sense to file there uh, in the Fifth Circuit than it would somewhere okay. else.
1: Okay, heard got it
0: so this that's called what we call forum shopping ah yeah
1: this is like, jet, uh,
0: yeah it's frowned like, upon but you know
1: like trying to find an underage girl a state that will where, where they can get married without a bunch of paperwork to a person <sighs> overage
0: yeah uh, that's yeah and that, that you're definitely looking for a place to file suit that you think will be most beneficial to you and both sides. In a major litigation, are doing this trying to trying to argue? This is in well, all pre-trial, right? This is why right. so much happens pre-trial. Um, most people, when they think about you know lawsuits, they think Law and Order. <laughs> <That> <laughs> there's this like clear delineation, like they file charges and then whoops, suddenly it's a trial, right? Right. Know that like I might file suit and then we might spend years, years fighting each other uh, before the trial ever happens, and the vast, vast, vast majority never actually make it into a courtroom trial
1: right well and also because um as i've been listening to uh the podcast knowledge fight has you know it's about all about alex jones so they have uh the um oh man what's it called when you're not the defendant the plaintiff yes the plaintiff's attorneys for the sandy hook case um who is a very very funny and sharp guy but um you know he keeps talking about <clears throat> Alex Jones keeps saying like George Soros's deep state is uh is paying this lawyer to take this suit and the guys like his his normal business is doing product defect stuff and he's like listen man like uh when you're talking about the cost of bringing the normal suit I'm talking like maybe half a million dollars soup to nuts this Alex Jones case has cost me 110,000 dollars like you know like he was just like this is but it still costs money, right, to bring yeah. these suits. So, and there's still like a certain amount of like deposition and discovery, and you pay all these people to do these, you know, individual jobs to get a case going, correct? Yeah.
0: And plaintiff's attorneys, like the one you're talking about, usually work on commission. So right. they actually don't charge uh, the plaintiffs um, upfront. What instead they get is a percentage, usually around 30 to 35% ish, uh, right. of whatever final. Um, Uh, whatever final um, settlement or award uh, that that results
1: heard okay gotcha okay so back to so let's talk about the the case itself that got us onto this conversation in the first place where it was like what the fuck I just wanted to title this episode what the fuck is going on with the fifth circuit Um, but from the you know surface level twitter lawyer like real lawyers uh, that I've read it's like essentially saying that the sec does not have actually have congressionally delegated constitutional <laughs> power to enforce any federal law. And then because of the way they worded it, technically no federal agency has the constitutional like right to enforce any laws delegated or any powers delegated to them by Congress. Is that. I would narrow that a touch. Okay. So the, ca- the case
0: is called Jarkesy versus sec or the securities and exchange commission. So I'm just going to call mm-hmm. the case Jarkesy. Okay. So in this case, uh, you have an enforcement action against George Jarkesy and Patriot 28, who's an investment advisor to hedge funds. Okay. So the SEC, historically, is allowed to either – is to choose where it wants to bring this enforcement action. They can okay. either bring it in a federal court – note that this is dealing with federal law, right? The SEC is created by federal law, so it would be in a federal yep. court – or in what's called an administrative law proceeding or administrative proceeding overseen by an ALJ or an, an administrative law judge. Okay. So they are similar in some ways, with some slight differences. That okay. essentially, a, that essentially, because of Dodd Frank, which changed, uh, which opened things up a little bit for the SEC and administrative law proceedings, an AL it's just faster and more efficient. To go okay. through an administrative law judge, okay, and you don't get a, a tri- You don't get a jury. Instead, you do whatever all the arguments just to the judge. It's similar to a bench trial.
1: Got it. Okay. Well, real quick, um, uh, I know what a bench trial is because I formed a bunch of motions for them in my first job. But will you explain what a bench trial is?
0: Just it's your normal trial, except instead of a jury, the judge makes the decision. There you go. Very simple. Um, they are quite common. Uh, you have a right in seventh amendment to have a jury trial. Uh, but there are some cases in which you can waive that or in, uh, these circumstances, since you have so many of the protections of a jury trial, um, then the, we defer to that. We, you know, we, we, it's been pretty good settled law for a long time that administrative law judges and and administrative courts are constitutional. Um, Hmm that this has lo- this is, is has been contested but it hasn't actually been taken down significantly until now
1: and then here comes the trump appointed judges yes. not giving a fuck about anything so like uh okay first of all like how back to one of my original questions here was how did some circuits become so politicized and when is that, has it always been like that or what's, what's the situation? Yes. And no. So, uh, essentially
0: throughout most of modern and most living history, right. Mm-hmm. Um, senators from home States had what was called blue slip power. They had the blue mm-hmm. slip authority, which is, let's say, You know, I am a senator from Texas and uh, an opening on the federal courts in Texas in the Fifth Circuit come up. Okay. And let's say it's the uh, one of the districts in Texas. Since I'm the home state senator, generally what has been expected until the Trump administration was that I would have to sign off on the nominee. Okay. And if I did not turn in what was called my blue slip... Either that the Senate would not push forward the nomination and let it sit and die, or the sitting president would try to negotiate with me to to find a nominee who can pass muster, that I would give the blue slip for.
1: And then what what was the block tower that the Trump administration kicked over? They just decided to get rid of the blue slip system altogether.
0: Okay, okay. And Mitch McConnell... Who had used the blue slip system to block many Obama nominees? Yeah, that you know that, and I want to note here that it was increasingly being used in bad faith by Senate Republicans. They didn't actually have any substantive uh, objections uh, to a particular nominee, and they would just drag on negotiations with the Obama administration forever. Cool. So when. McConnell talks about, you know, leaving all of these appointments open and Trump being able to fill them. Trump once boasted uh, that, you know, Obama just left all these federal uh, federal seats open. Great. What an idiot. It had nothing to do with that. It's that the Republican-controlled Senate refused to give blue slips and th- thus any hearings whatsoever cool. on any uh, Obama nominees that they could block in such a way.
1: Oh, God, I hate it here. I hate it here so much. I I, I hate over and over and over again, feeling like I'm some sort of motherfucking prognosticator because I was like screaming at people. I don't think you understand how harmful and dangerous a Trump administration will be Mm -hmm. so far beyond the Trump administration. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. So So the
0: the Trump admin just, this is for a seat in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, And this was at the beginning uh, uh, and put it this way, that, Normal that the Trump administration at first pretended to care. Yep. <laughs> they would call home state senators and they'd be, you know, try to find, and then at a certain point they just said F it yep. and McConnell agreed with them because Republicans controlled the Senate and they would, they would talk to the home state Senator. The senators especially particularly in purple States, right? Cause you could have mm. mixed. And yep. then you would wind up with the the home state Senator, the Democrat being like, no, I, this person's a, federalist society nutbag and the trump admins just like suck it we're putting him forward anyway and they pass along party lines and this essentially hadn't happened since like the early 20th century great good good yeah i think it was i think the system was in place since like 1913 or something like that i don't remember the exact (sighs) uh the exact date but it was something along those lines
1: and like the thing that i i keep coming back to and want to explain to people who are just not familiar with you know the ghoul club known as the Federalist Society. Like the Federalist Society exists as a fucking pez dispenser that every time you pull its like monstrous little head back, it shoots out like a super fundamentalist, you know, constitutional originalist nutbag that to to fill a judicial spot. That's basically its whole purpose at this point.
0: Yeah. I, I, and this you can see how the even the blue slip system would be have somewhat ideological swings. Well, yeah, but I mean, obviously, but uh, anyway. No, but I think the key there, though, is that it did add a moderating effect, particularly in jurisdictions that were mixed, uh, because you could have, you know, a, a Democratic governor, or you could have one Democrat and one Republican senator.
1: Right. And
0: then you would have to nominate someone to that uh, federal uh, bench appointment who would make both of them happy. You yep. could see how, even while you would get leans one way or another you wouldn't get outright you know capsizing of the ship in one direction
1: i bet i bet mitch mcconnell fucking hates that andy Bashir got elected as governor <laughs> of, of kentucky i bet he just like like points at himself in the mirror and says never again every morning you know what i mean yeah anyway so
0: we and, and just to, to show you how long how much these appointments matter um so judge reinhardt uh, is on the Ninth Circuit, okay. and he
1: was appointed by Carter. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, God. Okay.
0: Yeah. So he is still out there. <laughs> um, and Carter didn't get any, uh, President Carter didn't get any Supreme Court uh, nominations, but he did appoint 15 out of the then 23 judges to the Ninth Circuit. Um, the Ninth Circuit's now, I think, 29. Um but you can note appointing 15 out of 23 is going to swing that, that, um, that court of appeals pretty significantly. Although I have to say, you know, as much as the Ninth Circuit gets flack for being uh, liberal, it is not nearly as liberal um, as a lot of other places, a lot of other circuits like the second and the fifth uh, are conservative.
1: It's just, like, it's back to, like, you know, California being the butt of the joke and then Chicago being the butt of the joke about gang violence. You know what I mean? It's, like, because the right doesn't have any fucking new jokes. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. Just me being rageful. Um, what I wanted to... So, so with regard to the two particular cases, um, when we talk about the one that we talked about before with social media and this decision about the SEC... Like, part of me is like, is this for fucking Elon Musk? Like, is this like literally the entire government, just uh, all of Texas being like, please, Elon, come to Texas and save us with your deadly unsafe factory or something?
0: <laughs> uh, this is actually so Jarcusy, for example, similar cases about the SEC's constitutionality of its ALG- of its administrative law proceedings. Have essentially been happening since the passage of Dodd Frank. Oh, um, cool. They've really kicked up in recent years because Dodd Frank allowed more um, different, an expanded suite of remedy, remedies and more sort of cases that could be brought against not just institutional actors, sure. but more individuals. So, to give you an idea, um, before the SEC uh, adjudication proceedings, in-house in the, in the ALJ, with ALJs, tended to be, you know, financial advisors or stockbrokers. Yep. Um, but Dodd-Frank allowed, opened it up so that the SEC could bring a more, a different set, not just institutional actors, but also um, individuals who were trying to, you know, break the rules into administrative law proceedings as opposed to uh, into federal court. Gotcha. Okay. Heard. So the big... The thing that I would disagree with the characterization of Jarcusy with is that Jarcusy applies only to suits that are seeking remedies that have similar remedies in common law, but does allow cases with no uh, uh, SEC proceedings that do not have common law counterparts Um to be brought in administrative law proceedings. That is a slight distinction because most <laughs> of the claims, including the fraud claim in Jarcusy um, fall under the first umbrella would be invalidated by uh by, uh, by the it. fifth circuit in Jarcusy, okay. but it does provide this small carve out.
1: So who benefit, like what, who, who brought the suit? Who does it benefit? Who does this decision benefit ultimately? So it, it was brought against,
0: so who brought the suit, the appeal was uh, on the adjudication against Jarkesy himself and also this uh, particular online person, Patriot 28. And they were, <laughs> uh, they were ordered to cease and desist by the administrative law judge from further violations to pay a civil penalty of $300,000 and then pay back Patriot 28 to pay back $685,000 and then Jarkesy also get bought, got barred in the future from, part, from doing certain things in the security industry, securities okay, so, industry.
1: So this is an individual committing securities fraud, basically. Yeah,
0: two. Yeah, okay. two individuals.
1: Okay, two individuals. Gotcha. And so th- it was brought in
0: one of the admin law courts. And there are a lot of good reasons for this. And the first is simply workload issues. Right. That to give you an idea of how common... <laughs> These are just the Social Security Administration. Just Social Security has 1,500, 1,500 administrative law judges that it uses Fuck. to adjudicate claims disputes. Wow. Which wow. makes sense. You want judges who are specialized yep. in the ins and outs of, of the Social Security Administration – they're going to be faster. It's going to be smoother. It's going to be cheaper than going through a whole jury trial. You right. don't have to re-explain the law every single freaking time to the jury. Yeah. These are pretty normal work a day, not huge adjudications. And we're talking like about a million dollars in this SEC case. Like this is not large potatoes. Right. This is small enough that you don't want to further burden an already overwhelmed federal judiciary uh, with – you know, thousands and thousands of these cases, but instead handle them through these ALJ proceedings that uh, where you have special judges who are experienced in this law, who are experienced in admin law, uh, to be handling these cases quickly and efficiently.
1: And this is, like, exactly what voters say they want, right? This is, like, we want to punish bad actors in the financial sector, and we want government to work efficiently. Like, this is something that is accomplishing the goals that the exact fucking Reagan lobotomites say they want from the government. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. And like to become an ALJ for Social Security Administration, you need to have at least seven years of experience in litigation, preferably, you know, in in administrative law context that you have experienced people who've, who've worked these kind of cases being able to dispose of them quickly and efficiently because there are just too many of them to adjudicate through the
1: court system, I, I, I don't understand. I still am trying to wrap my head around like qui bono? Who benefits? You know?
0: Well, the whole point is trying to annihilate the administrative law system overall. Because, Got it? Because if if the if every single administrative agency, I do want to note here that it's hundred percent right that the that the reasoning in jarcacy does not limit it just to the SEC. This could apply across Mm -hmm. the board to every uh, federal administration from the EPA to the Social Security Administration. Great, great, good. But imagine if you had to have a full jury trial. Oh my God, oh my God. Right? Um, This is obscenely expensive and just unworkable. So it would make all of these administrative agencies essentially in, they they would be crippled in being able to actually adjudicate disputes that come up, which inevitably come up with any sort of complicated agency. Uh,
1: So essentially we're back to a place of back to Reagan lobotomites, you know, breaking the government that they don't want to work anyway. Right.
0: I mean, this would, I mean, this to me is more than just breaking. This essentially is trying to, um, this is essentially trying to destroy the entirety of the administrative state from soup to nuts.
1: Fuck me.
0: Come on. Come I mean, on. By administrative state, I think people under uh, uh, underestimate how much is done through <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> administrative law. <laughs> yeah. That like we are talking and this is also at the state level. Right. Um there are ALJ's at the state level, but it's like virtually everything you can think of um that every aspect of American life, to like, if you think about um, uh, cases that deal with like consumer safety, yep, uh, that deals that deal with the stock market and the financial industry, that deal with the environment, that deal with Social Security, yep. Medicare, Medicaid, every program that's run through one of these federal agencies, um, would be essentially burdened by uh, a litigation load. <laughs> That would be essentially impossible unless we expanded the size of the federal court system to the size of the administrative uh, uh, administrative law system, Fuck. which would be an increase in size. Because remember, we said there are 29 <laughs> judges in the ninth in the ninth circuit, and that's the largest one. And there are 1,500 administrative law judges just at the freaking social security administration
1: so let me can i can i just name things that have to be adjudicated by the judge and will you just tell me if it's if that is administrative law or not okay uh child support and or paternity court those are usually handled through state courts okay um oh god like um real estate disputes
0: uh, again, usually state and local courts. Okay. Although, okay. if it deals with any sort of environmental stuff, I mean, okay. it could depend. If it does okay, do- so- – yeah, with with federal laws around the environment.
1: So when we talk about that, it's like – that's like – uh, again, back to the EPA, which is one of those things that – pretty much everyone has no concept of the scope of their work, which is like uh, anytime that you want to put in, for example, uh, like a holding tank for propane, right? Like, or any kind of hazardous material, you have to go through an environmental study, which can sometimes bring up conflicts between two parties, which are settled in court. And this happens all the time with just like road work and, uh, you know, bridge improvements. And like, there's all kinds of stuff that run through these environmental checks, which sometimes set up, uh, like, Something like that would probably be handled at the state and
0: local level, but to give you an idea of a uh, a case that might be handled at the federal level, okay. um, there's what's called an underground thermal event in St. Louis. It's not a f- underground fire because there's no oxygen. Um, <laughs> but basically, it started in a landfill in East St. Louis, which, oh, by the way, yes. East St. Louis is not in Missouri. It's in Illinois. Yep. Um, and... It essentially something, quote unquote, caught on fire, though it's not actually on fire. It's just extremely hot. And it has been burning and growing (laughs) for years. Yep. But the problem is, is that the burning and the growing now crosses state lines, even though it's underground. (laughs) It's both in Illinois and in Missouri. Oh, my God. So obviously, both jurisdictions need to work together. Both states need to work together to try to sort this out. But who pays for it? Who uh. decides what rules? Um, obviously, they need to comply with, like, you know, federal regulations. But so I actually know someone who, you know, worked uh, in these sort of proceedings as a mediator <laughs> um, and has been working on this particular one for a very, very long time. I can imagine. Um uh, she has experience with like super fund and stuff like that. Wow. So, you know, you have you have issues with like both state law, local laws of multiple of two different states, then you have to comply also with the federal regulations. Ugh. So it's cases like this, right, that are extremely difficult to deal with through the standard court system, which is why they're trying to do it through mediation. Right? But it is something yep. that theoretically, if one if the agreement violated um, you know, federal law or EPA's regulations, then you might see them dragged to an ALJ or something like that to try to, to try to
1: handle it. And what the, what the fifth circuit is arguing is all those should go through a fucking jury trial. Is that what they're saying? Yes. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. That would be like, that would be like a fourth or an eighth of every citizen's like year. It'd be like, you know, being called onto a jury somewhere. You know what I mean? Also, just unbelievable. Like it's, you know, even me using the vernacular
0: of fire. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not a fire; it's an underground thermal event. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and trying to explain to them why that's so dangerous. But oh can you, my god, can you can imagine all the shit that all the infrastructure we have underground. Like for now, it's just been in this landfill and the area, but it's moving. So um, <laughs>
1: and it's so growing. Would, it would essentially be bunch of just average assholes all from just everywhere all the time needing the intricacies of, for example, securities law explained to them before they could take a person to trial who is probably like a slick-talking fucking psychopath to be uh, prosecuted well, for their very obvious fraud. Well, well not well in environmental in,
0: in in environmental law and not just the environmental law of one particular state or locality. They'd have to be be able to to understand the law of both states
1: and right, right, right. how
0: it interacts with EPA guidelines, with federal laws,
1: and then right. figure out some fucking remedy from there. So so basically it would be 12 people from, you know, the person that you saw at the grocery store in a Shrek onesie, um, just, like, t- trying to be all at once, like, financial and environmental consultants yeah. with a, you know, two-hour to two-week education on this, and they would just decide stuff. That yeah. sounds great. They would decide who
0: pays what, right? Holy who pays what?
1: fuck. You want to talk about a recipe for idiocracy overnight, like... like Boy, that is upsetting in a way that uh, I couldn't have uh, had explained to me outside of this. So thank you for that it's yeah, something something it's, terrifying.
0: It's crazy to me because like so the distinction generally has been made between suits at common law versus um uh public rights right. So suits at common law which are are, are uh, the seventh amendment applies. so we have a right to a jury trial. Okay, but for public rights, generally, it's been believed uh, that laws serving a public purpose, like environmental protections or security law, uh, uh, or administrative uh, decisions, those do fall within public public rights. Under m- until the Darcisi decision, okay, so that is really in the legal like the weeds of it. That is the mistaken definition. This is what the Fifth Circuit, the two judges on the three-judge panel, um, the conservative judges had to do: is they had to sort of narrow this conception of public rights to exempt uh, to force the jury trial.
1: Wow. Okay. Oh my God. Okay.
0: Does, I yeah, I know that's like very technical, but that is the kind of of things that might seem like small things to a lay person, but make all the difference.
1: That's truly, truly, truly bonkers. So how much like cost wise, when you said like this would be prohibitively expensive, I mean, what are we talking? Like tens of billions of dollars, <sighs> trillions of dollars, or is it kind of an unknowable it's thing? It's sort of an
0: unknowable point? thing um, yeah. because the the benefits. So it's unknowable in the sense that like, we don't know if the adjustment would be simply fewer suits brought, mm. which would mean more violations going unpunished. Yep. So this would mean that small potatoes like Jarcusy would just not be – the amounts of money would not be enough to justify actually going after him. Great. Um, and because to be able to do those, you would just – and go through a full jury trial um, with all of its discovery and other stuff. It would just – it would be prohibitive. Um, you would only be able to go after really the big violators.
1: God, okay. And we're not super great at going after them in the first yeah. place, have to say.
0: No, we're not. Um, on the the other theoretical part would just be maybe Congress would just vastly swell the size of the federal judiciary. <laughs> yeah, obviously that's not happening. So, yeah, So I think the whole point is to try to essentially prevent administrative agencies. It's like to defang them, is to make them incapable of actually enforcing their rules.
1: Cool. Cool. Awesome. So sounds like um, we're just like headed to kind of a federal law, Mad Max sort of lawless uh, cowboy town. Sounds great. Yeah. I mean, if this stands. So (laughs)
0: this is... Essentially, been very well settled law. Yeah, this is very very weird. Um, there have been cases that have challenged the SEC and similar administrative law proceedings over the last decade or so. <laughs> uh, mostly focused on on some like narrow technical issues, but always with the with with the same goal. And they brought yeah. it in other places. There have been multiple cases brought in the DC Circuit. Um, and the D.C. Circuit has essentially slapped them down, which I think is why this particular case was brought in the Fifth Circuit. Gotcha. Okay. So now we have what's called the circuit split. And circuit splits are when are essentially when two when two or more circuits, when interpreting uh, a similar or almost identical question of law, come out in different ways. And okay. the, theoretically what the Supreme Court is supposed to do is um, – Solve that <laughs> by okay. saying, no, this is the way to do it. Okay. So they're essentially forcing, in this case, Supreme Court review.
1: Uh, the Fifth Circuit okay. knows
0: it's going to force Supreme Court review.
1: Fuck, fuck you guys. I mean, this is just back to the fucking stupid Trump playbook, which is like, we have our, our team of absolute psychopaths up there. So like, let's get some real psychopath law done for no reason other than to, and I quote, trigger the libs like fuck fuck this i'm so i hate this stupid fucking timeline
0: yeah it's been something that's been on the the book that the uh republican party has been trying for a while because of the corporate wing of the party so like in 2017 um uh the republican congress wanted to make some changes to administrative law proceeding administrative proceedings by allowing litigants to uh if they chose to automatically remove proceedings out of administrative law setting into a district court that never passed but it is something that like this is not an out of the mainstream republican position this is where most i think republican politicians and their corporate sponsors um they want this
1: oh this has like such a stink of like again cook brothers meets uh fucking federalist society ghouls, you know? Yeah. Um,
0: Because if you think of it from the point of view of big business, like the more crippled the government is, um, the more power business has in just doing whatever the fuck it wants. (laughs) Um, And the administrative state uh, has always been since like the new, this is like essentially from the new deal is considered the birth of the uh, modern administrative state. So this is one way that they're trying to uh roll back or eliminate um the 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 new deal and what came from it.
1: Oh my god. Oh my god. We're going to we like we will literally have federalist society judges arguing for child labor, like the merits <laughs> of child labor by the end of I don't know, by 2030 for sure we'll have like a major case come through about whether or not child labor is Constitutional.
0: Oh, I have a uh, so, yeah. Thank you. And that that gives me a good segue because I was looking for my list. So, Breyer in a dissent earlier in Free Enterprise, I uh, gave a list of agencies that could be impacted by these sort of decisions. And some of the highlights are things like the Department of Agriculture, yeah. Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Housing yeah. of, urban, uh, of Urban of Urban uh, of Housing and Urban Development, Interior, Justice, Labor, Transportation. I already mentioned the EPA, the, oh, the FLRA, the Federal Labor Relations Board, the yep. Energy Regulatory Commission, the Mine Safety and Health Review Commission, Christ. like transportation safety review. We're talking, you know, social security, we're talking huge swaths of the things that make our, you know, water clean to drink, our air clean, uh, safe to breathe, um, our children, uh, our, our workplace is safe, our roads safe, um, you know the thing uh, the things that don't allow you know uh like the like the fcc the federal communications commission uh that keep the airwaves free all of these things um could theoretically be um either crippled or dismantled uh if uh Jarcusi, the jargacy ruling is upheld and then eventually i think the ultimate goal is chevron in the air. I
1: mean i j- okay again like it's not that I don't understand federalism and the desire to kick certain things back to certain states based on the political will of the voting majority. However, like the reason that we don't do that with a bunch of stuff enforced by all those agencies you just named is the same reason that we don't have smoking sections in restaurants and the reason we never had peeing sections in pools. You know what I mean? Like,
0: it, it could also cripple state agencies too, though.
1: This is what I'm I'm saying is, like, if, you know, so let's say that you're goddamn K.I.V. in Alabama and you're, like, an idiot and just, like, a moron or you're just stupid and you're the governor of, like, Arizona or uh, Tennessee, any place where there's just, like, a hard right moron sitting in the governor's seat, right? And you're, like, Mm -hmm. um, our state agencies are not going to share information with state agencies from liberal California, Well, that's great. If you plan to do a bunch of murder or crime in (laughs) Alabama, then all you have to do is crime it up, and then head to any one of the states that your state has elected to no longer share information with, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I think the problem is, is that like, you know, when people are talking about, um,
0: and I think correctly in Dobbs, it's like, well, if I live in a blue state, well, we can pass our abortion. It really does get kicked back to the states. We can still have legal. We can still have. Um, you know, women's reproductive health would be protected there. The yeah. problem comes, let's say New York creates, you know, the New York state decides that it wants its own EPA, right? right. And they have versions of that in most of these sure. states. They have administrative agencies who use their own state level ALJs. Right. It would theoretically bar those administrative law proceedings as well, because, again, it's a Seventh Amendment issue in this case. Not, a state can't ignore the Seventh Amendment. The reason why states can use their own administrative law proceedings is because it's, it's considered to still, as long as they're you know similarly and properly structured, it's still considered as satisfying uh, the Seventh Amendment. But if it's suddenly not, then it not only inv- invalidates the federal um, agencies, it would also invalidate the enforcement capabilities of the state level agencies as well. So you couldn't just make an EPA in New York anymore. It's a crazy, honestly, it is a crazy decision out of the fifth circuit, because I know that this can seem administrative law is often like sort of a redheaded stepchild of the law that we're used to, you know, uh, normal trials. Um, But it is an enormous, an enormous part of the law. And we already know that Gorsuch and Thomas want to destroy the administrative state. They've said so as much. Um, And the question is, and probably Alito. So we probably have three who want to blow this up. The question is, what do Kavanaugh, Barrett and Roberts think?
1: Oh, uh, man. I I don't like that these are the people that it depends on because uh, Amy Cody Barrett is just like a cardboard cutout. Like, you know what I mean? She's a she's a standee. Um, I, Which I is don't know.
0: unfortunate, you know, that like, even though I did not necessarily love everything that Sandra Day O'Connor uh, ruled, at least, she, you know, she was a strong and independent legal thinker on her yeah. own. And it's just – it's unfortunate that the only female member of the conservative wing um, of the court is – appears to be um, less in, less independent.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's a very, very kind and charitable way for you to put it, Matt. Like, uh, I guess – I mean, ultimately, I think this is what has always pushed me away from conservative thinking is – this very very obvious desire and almost pathological necessity to bend reality around your preconceived conclusion right like what it was gay marriage it was like well i just think gay men are icky like it just makes me feel icky and how do i make it sound what's a more polite way of saying like i think this is icky which (laughs) is like oh it's it's bad for children and it's bad for families and i think like you know Now we're, we're down to an even, you know, lower amoeba form of that thinking, which is just like, I just don't think the government should tell me what to do. And it's like, really, man, that's the kind of the most sophisticated argument. It's like, well, yeah. uh, And then you get to like, it's like originalism is, you know, I don't think anybody should tell me what to do, but it's gotten its PhD. You know what I mean?
0: So, I mean, you're a small business owner.
1: Yeah. Um, You
0: know how irritating it can be to have to comply with rules and regulations
1: uh it is irritating and it can be expensive however uh on the flip side um people will die of botulism like all (laughs) the time
0: can you can you tell the audience a little bit about your like because you know with the hot honey what did you have to do to prove that you're uh that you were that it was safe
1: so uh honey has a uh natural ph of 3.9 and um so to give you an idea of how this works, the any, any pH above 4.3 has to be in something either it has to be like refrigerated or oxygen reduced packaging or both or heat canned. You know what I mean? Like you get a little mm-hmm. vacuum canned or you, you know, whatever. Um, so what I had to do was pay a laboratory in uh, Pennsylvania, which is the same food safety laboratory that a lot of breweries use and a lot of other canned or prepared food manufacturers. And it cost me about $350 per product. So at the time it was about a thousand bucks. And, uh, what they did was just tested it for its pH, you know, in a lab on paper, and they tested it for its, uh, botulism content, which was zero. Um, but the state required me to do that. And actually, it's really interesting. If you're in the state of Indiana, there's actually fewer guidelines to become a food packaged food wholesaler than it is to serve uh, prepared food out of a restaurant kitchen. Mm. Um, well, it kind of makes sense because you yeah. just don't need as much equipment um, to, to do that most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that was a pretty hefty expense at first. You also have, you know, the state also requires a certain amount of uh, labeling on the label. So you have to have the name of your product, but you also have to have the common name. So Scorpion Honey, uh, in the lower corner, it says Hot Honey. Um, And then it has Indianapolis, Indiana. You have to have its uh, total package weight and its product net weight. Um, You have to have your business identifier. And then on somewhere on the label, you have to have... Uh, An address where people can, you know, the address where you produce it from and then, you know, has to be visible so that consumers and if there is a government recall, they can uh, you can uh, trace it back to the kitchen. Um, And then ideally, once you get above a certain size, you have to have batch numbers so that you can do uh, recalls in case of food safety issue, Um, even in pet food. So my my um, good friend and uh, peer is my friend Kellen, who runs Cora's Kitchen, which is a, um, a food, a dog food and dog hmm. treat and cat treat manufacturer, has to pay the government a certain amount of money to have certain labels, and they have to. She has to use the exact same recipe all the time because it's measured. She same thing. She sends her to a lab, which has uh, comes up with the crude protein, crude fiber. You know, it's it's like nutrition facts, but for animal food, and we all do this just to ensure that there's not some whack shit getting in your food and getting you sick or your dog sick or your kids sick or something like that. And the state does that to ensure consumer fucking safety. This is what the government does. It costs us money. The government makes us pay money to, to keep you safe whenever you're eating food or keep your pet safe when they're giving, you're giving your pet food safe. So if you want to remove these, you know, then we're talking about seat belts and restaurant food safety. This means like your... Cook could wipe his shitty muddy ass with his bare ass hand and go back to the kitchen and stuff it inside your ready to eat food. That if I mean Ugh. we we can have this world if these fucking zealots want this, but it's going to be bad. It's going to be gross. Do you remember uh did you ever read the jungle Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Upton Sinclair. That's one of the most important things I think anybody should read if you want to know, like, what these labor activists fought and died for at the beginning of the, the 20th century.
0: Yeah. And, and, uh, like, we don't need to imagine that world. We, we did have that world. We
1: had it. We had it where there were kids working on, you know, getting their fingers cut off in a knurling machine, making number two pencils, you know?
0: Or, and then we also had this in, briefly in China before they started putting more regulations in. Um, they had like an outbreak of uh, poisonings through toothpaste, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting. Um, one of my favorite things from uh, milk, the milk industry back in the day was some of them watering down their milk and then adding in like chalk. Or other white-ish stuff into the milk to try to make it look still like milk, even though it was mostly water?
1: Still a huge problem in China. China has a problem in their milk industry with with, uh, melamine, addition of melamine, which is a plastic. But to the testing uh, equipment, it tests as protein. So you add these little powdered microplastics to your milk, and then all of a sudden it tests with a way higher protein content. Um, if you like bourbon, if you drink bourbon, uh, the term bottled and bond, this is like one of my favorite factoids about, uh, the just American populace, which is we passed the, um, bottled and bond act, uh, which was, uh, before bourbon was regulated by the government. Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, counterfeiting of it where you would color the bourbon with tobacco was a really popular one, or just like, you know, sometimes like tanning leather dyes, like poisonous Mm. dyes. And the government came up with the Bottled and Bond Act, where they would, uh, the government paid for. Uh, it was a big warehouse that was locked and guarded twenty four hours a day, and these um, bourbon producers would pay the government to to house and guard their um, their bourbon. But it was also a seal to say, like, you know, this is really what it is. This is really bourbon aged in a barrel. It's not have any additives in it, and the government ensures the safety we passed that four years before the safe food and drug act i just want that to be now
0: (laughs) i mean you got to protect that booze i'm glad we had our priorities in the right yeah we
1: really had our priorities in line i forget who the who the um there was a um, congressman or maybe it was a senator but anyway someone from kentucky that that really pushed that really hard It's
0: why you can just go and like eat something in the United States (laughs) and not worry if it's going to freaking kill you.
1: Yes, it's how you can buy a new car and make sure that, you know, like if it crashes into something, you know, a a jiffy pop isn't going to come out of the steering column. You know what I mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or yeah, it's it's just one of those uh, that every all of the safety devices aren't clown props.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you get in a car accident and and an airbag doesn't deploy, but, like, you just make kind of a squeaky sound whenever you bounce (laughs) off your steering wheel.
0: That would be amazing. And then, like, the the passenger side airbag is just
1: one of those jack-in-the-box things that pops out and laughs at you. Oh, my God. I saw, by the way, I saw... Back to this like moment of Elon Musk worship, but there was this video that be- that went viral for a couple of days of a little SUV um, s- like slamming into a Tesla, and the caption was like. Oh, the sign of a well-made car because the Tesla didn't look like it had gotten hit at all, and the SUV Uh-oh. was like collapsed. You know, the Uh-oh. front of it was collapsed, and a bunch of a bunch of engineers were like, "Hi, stepping in here to say, um, if that's how your car looks after an accident, you're dead." Like, yeah. The whole reason that a car collapses is to absorb the energy so that it doesn't impact the driver. So if your car does nothing but bounce off the car that slams into it, that motion gets transferred to your brain I was going to say, I was say uh, <laughs> if, if,
0: if, if it's that rigid... <laughs>
1: Yeah. it's just transferring
0: all of the energy to the least rigid thing in the car, yeah, which, which is, is you, you,
1: you big soft bag of bones and tissue. Yeah. Um, so also there's a great thread. I, my computer died and I didn't click restore enough time. So I've lost the, the tab, but, um, there have been journalists who have dug into, um, the fact that Tesla, um, since we're going back to like government regulations and sidestepping these, uh, these regulatory bodies, uh, signed got uh got a bunch of uh early adopters to sign these agreements for free repairs and in exchange for that they don't have to report any of the repairs to uh any of the uh you know the what is it highway safety transportation board you know what i mean but i thought elon believed in free speech how oh, could he my god i just like i don't understand the worship of this man, especially when like the evidence that this person cravenly does not care about human life or the life of the users that are inflating its value, even the tiniest, smallest little bit.
0: And I I think that for most people, they might be like, Oh, how this probably doesn't affect me, you know, but let's say I'll give you an example. I had uh, a friend who, uh, because of a disability was on, uh ssdi social security disability, yep, disability right yep and ssdi is a huge absolutely gigantic uh program and they audit you every now and again because yep. you know the whole point is that you're supposed to be so disabled you can't work right and they make mistakes every giant agency that's dealing with that many people is going to make mistakes and it's a pain in the ass but you can at least appeal the decision you can right. get reinstated and you can provide evidence and all that stuff. And often, you, you know, it might take a few months, but you'll actually get there. But imagine if instead of being able to go through that process, you had to fucking sue in court the Social Security Administration.
1: So that you could have a jury trial. So yeah. that you could... So that the opposing counsel and your counsel could go through and individually select jurors and ask them a lot of questions about how they personally feel about the Social Security Administration and the right for people to have a safety net, which, like, I don't want those decisions left up to Jim Bob who drives the, the uh, lifted truck with the um, Confederate flag hanging <laughs> yeah. off the back. No, thank you. And if you just think about that out as a process, you're like, well, you know, that means the
0: government just shouldn't screw up. And I'm just like, screw ups are inevitable. Like, they're going to yeah. happen. The question is, do you want a process where you can actually, you know, get your shit back? Or do you want one of two things? Either everyone who... Uh, disputes it gets their money back which allows for fraud yep. or no one does no <laughs> because
1: one ever the courts does. can't handle it yes so your grandma who you know is on a fixed social security income and somebody who is tired because their baby was up screaming all night you know comes to work and checks the wrong box on a form by the time your grandma gets to even something close to adjudication, she's fucking dead. Yeah. she's dead because she starved without having any income for the three years it takes for her suit to go through the court system.
0: Or longer if you actually say that all the grandmas have to go through the court system, that, like
1: yeah, I'm saying I'm saying conservatively in a good world, yeah. you know, like a three year, you know, it's like people who have who have faith in the court system, I imagine have very, very little contact with it because, and I'm so glad that I did, right? I'm so glad that my first job ever was working for uh, the council to the Mexican uh, consulate in Indianapolis. And we just dealt, we just adjudicated all these little problems all the time, little problems, like people getting pulled over with like a, you know, expired ID, but then, you know, that becomes uh, a driving without a license charge. And then let's say you get, uh, you know, th- these things snowball into mm-hmm. other issues. And these are all like tiny little like misdemeanor offenses. But I'm imagining like poor, poor old Mrs. Perez who like you know, didn't know that she had to update her license. Like, a lot of busy people happens to busy working people and then had all these charges come down from this one little thing of getting pulled over on her way to work with an expired license. And I'm like, that would be like a decade of her life in jury trials over shit like that.
0: Or she just wouldn't bring the suit. Yeah, I or guess Or she would right. just get completely screwed. Like, I think that's the thing that people, th- the only people who could afford to fight these would be the rich. Yeah. Because it would be so expensive and so onerous that the only time it would be worth fighting, it'd go one of two ways. Either nothing gets enforced or the system. So onerous, no one can get their rights vindicated other than the ultra rich. I don't one think people or the other.
1: Also understand like how plastic the will of a lot of these agencies can be. And if you want a great example of that, it is the church of Scientology in the nineties, uh, had, I mean, I think hundreds of lawsuits tied up with the IRS because they just didn't pay their taxes. And by the time the, so the Church of Scientology had a massive amount of money that were like kind of height of their cool era uh, with Tom Cruise and John Travolta and all those people. And eventually, the only reason the Church of Scientology was, was granted tax-exempt status is because the IRS ran the numbers on the cost of litigating all of those lawsuits against the Scient- Scientologists and just forgiving all the tax debt and making them tax-exempt. And they were like, yeah, fuck it. At this point, like, we might as well just say, call them a church. And that is literally how that decision was come to. It's like, ugh, not worth it. And, and,
0: and they have to do that sort of calculus. All the time. All Constantly. It's unfortunate. We wish it weren't that way, but yeah. that that is the way it goes with the existing system. Yep. Now imagine making the system even more expensive, yep. labyrinthine, and onerous. I uh, you're you're not gonna wind up with a functioning government at all. And this is oh. one way that, like, you know, the entire Grover Norquist, he wants a government so small that he can drown it Ooh. in a bathtub. I hate that man. But one way you can make government fail or shrink it is by making it just so bad. And so, uh, so unusable that the public turns against it.
1: I think that we, I think that we underestimate, you know, when we talk about like, uh the government, the, the, Conservative Party is, like, under the influence of the Russians. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's exactly what they want. Like, the Conservative Party would love America to be Russia. They would love for us to be ruled over by, you know, a few hundred, like, ultra billionaires with, like, you know, yachts that look like uh, uh, military, you know, ships out in the harbor. And, like, they want people to be so feel so disenfranchised that they just seek, cease to seek solutions for themselves. You know what I mean? Like they want us to be, they want the government to be so ineffective that we just lose faith in like institutions generally. And It might feel,
0: I think in some ways, I think that only works if they think that their people will be in power. Yeah. Right. That like, it'll be Donald Trump or someone who will be the, you know, oligarch prime or whatever. Ugh. But, you know, if you told them, well, the end result of that system is that, like, you know, LeBron James is going to be God King of the United States. I think that they would, you know, they they would probably probably come up with some reasonably decent criticisms of why uh, LeBronistan would be a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, say, oh, you know, we should make Musk God King. And suddenly, (laughs) I think that ultimately at the end of the day... They would, I think that there's some people who, for whom the responsibility and the sometimes annoying chaos of democracy uh, is just, is not as appealing to them as sort of the simplicity and (laughs) uh, of being under someone's boot. (laughs) Seriously, I think there's some people who would just rather be told what the lines are clean and easy. They don't have to think about it.
1: I know, I know, I know. This is like this is a true psychological outcome of living in a paternalistic society. And I'm not even like, I'm not trying to like write my, my Oberlin dissertation here. I'm just saying like one of the problems with the patriarchy, capital T, capital P, is it like it, it does ingrain this sort of like, I just want daddy to tell me what to do (laughs) in a lot of people. And for a lot of people leaving behind daddy telling you what to do, you know, it's very, very, very scary. And, uh, Again, back to my all time favorite quote by um, uh, Liv Algar, which is, uh, I didn't think the lion would eat my face, says person who voted (laughs) lion eating faces party 2022, you know? And this is,
0: I think it also, this points out like the core hypocrisy uh, of a lot of these people. I think like Elon's uh, heavy reliance on NDAs exposes the core hypocrisy at a lot of this sort of like... a lot of the supposed, uh, a lot, a lot of the right wingers today is that, and he is a right winger (laughs) in in all the ways that matter. um, That he wants freedom for me, (laughs) (laughs) but not for any, but not for thee, right. He wants power over you and he wants freedom for himself.
1: It's a, it's a startling, um, you know, I mean, I have been, jokingly calling this surgeon mentality because you know obviously i grew up with one and a lot of them around all the time but there's a um there's a couple models of planes that they uh call either the widow maker or the doctor killer um, because it's so common for a certain <laughs> kind of doctor to become a doctor and then just start flying planes like far <laughs> beyond their training would allow and dying um And it's awful that's not funny but you know it's it's it speaks to that mentality right it's it's a Ben Carson mentality you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like and the thing about my dad is he'll tell you that being a surgeon is a lot like just being a car mechanic but the car bleeds and it it runs the whole time that you're working on it (laughs) and you know you can be really really smart and really good at medicine and not really good at a lot of other stuff and not be a very smart in a lot of other ways person. We just have to get rid of this idea that like, number one, I made a lot of money, so I'm smart. Or number two, I did well in a smart career. So I'm going to be smart in all the ways.
0: (laughs) And I, just to drive that home, like, you know, you, you Feel free, you know, all the listeners out there, ask me questions about law and politics and stuff, but if you ever want advice on how to fix your car or even, <laughs> I don't know, how to fold a napkin, I am not your guy.
1: <laughs> now, I can answer a lot of those questions, but uh, I think one of the one of the driving forces behind um, this moment in total stupid right-wing history is that not knowing is somehow, like, not masculine. Like, saying I don't know is, like, not is like, (laughs) femme. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's just, like, this cartoonish exaggeration of the men refusing to ask for directions meme from my childhood. And I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, like, the reason that we make this podcast is... I think part of it is to stay in a mindset of, I don't really know. Let me look into it, you know? And, uh, I'm, I am nervous about where we're headed just because it's beyond just stupid, right? It's like, not only am I stupid, but I would rather die than admit I'm wrong or had a dumb or bad or stupid idea. So we're just going to ride it, uh, you know, um, Dr. Strangelove style, right? right into the ground, you know?
0: It makes me worry too, because the people I know who are experts in their field, (laughs) the amount of time and energy and care they put into what they do is (laughs) absolutely insane. Like it is so impressive and their dedication and expertise is a hard won and hard fought. Mm. Uh, And it leads them off into much more interesting and nuanced Uh, positions than you would get any other way yeah and then you kind of get i guess like the amateurization like that's just your opinion dude yeah and you wind up with you wind up often with that kind of thinking with positions that are extremely very very weird and like for an example hardcore right wing like hard hard hardcore maga fans have claimed that they've become so radicalized by professional athletes' support of things mm. like Black Lives matter, matter that they now talk about quote unquote sports ball cool. and they think that it's feminine to watch sports. Great. Oh, I've
1: heard this from Alex Jones too.
0: Which is fucking
1: crazy to me. It's insane. It's awesome. It's kind of awesome. You know what I mean? Like, if it didn't, if it weren't representative of just, like, this insane shift of, I don't know, even just, like, connection to reality. Uh, Okay, for example, on Twitter last week, uh, uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro, drunk as shit, I'm sure, got on Twitter and said, oh, by the way, uh, Dominion lost their lawsuit to Sidney Powell and uh, the other fucking kook's name. Lynn Wood, which is first of all not only not true, but like lawsuits are public record. Like the you know the, the like court court cases are you don't have to. So I saw a bunch of and then AP posted like a hey fact check. Um, no, that's not. It's the lawsuits are ongoing, and a bunch of these fucking maga idiots were under there like like you trust AP fact checking, <laughs> and it's like I don't I don't know what to do with somebody who like doesn't know that. Court records are public And like Reality exists or it doesn't And like AP isn't fact checking Based on like a bunch of opinion writers They went and looked at the Public record of the Of the court and that's how They know that it's ongoing because Of the record of reality That we have in databases So now we're at the point where court records Are fake news? Court records are fake news like I guess I don't this is what I mean, man. Like, like once we're, when I was screaming about this in 2016, I was like, we're beyond a shared reality. And once we get beyond a shared reality, like now we're dealing with, with cult thinking essentially, right? Like now we're dealing with an impenetrable barrier of thought insulation. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) It's just
0: funny to think about because, um, you know, I don't know if all the people out there know is that I am a huge sports nut um
1: i love that i didn't know that about you. yeah
0: i am a huge sports nut my brother and i played sports really competitively and seriously our whole childhoods we still follow sports religiously and we just did actually for um as a bonus episode for his podcast plan a Mm -hmm. um, we did a bonus episode on how this is the year of like the asian athlete and specifically the asian baseball player and yet like it's getting no national news coverage yeah Um, but like You know what I did yesterday? It was Sunday. It was also like the last day of the Premier League and my brother's team just needed to win the Spurs. He's a Spurs fan. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. (laughs) They needed to win to get into the top four and thus millions of dollars for being in the European Champions League. Yeah. And it was exciting and it was awesome (laughs) and it was so much fun to watch. And by the way, South Korean player Hyunmin Sun. Uh, tied with Mohamed Salah, an Egyptian player, uh, for the Golden <laughs> Boot. They share it this year for the most goals scored in the Premier that, League, the English League. That's um, awesome. That is fucking great. Mm-hmm. That, like, what I think of sports as is the celebration of human potential, uh, it's a celebration yes! of what uh people like what people can do generally and also it's something that we can all enjoy because we can all play sports and imagine ourselves uh as our heroes i did as a kid i still think that way today when i play sports (laughs) it's just a lot of fun um
1: and there's, there's always, it's like, I'm not a, I don't follow a particular team, but I love sports stories, right? They all represent this like beautiful hero's journey. There's like setbacks and there's like, oh, and I was, you know, everything was going great. And then this terrible thing happened to me and I overcame it and it's awesome. But- so
0: I, I want to get a lawyer together, um, another lawyer together for us to have, who's obsessed with sports, to have a, a, a case argument with me. Um, Because there was on the PGA Tour, on the golf tour, uh, there was a golf player who hit his shot and a squirrel blocked the shot and then pushed his ball off of the green. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. And there are a surprising number of animal-related sports stories, like when Randy, oh. J- when Randy Johnson
1: yep, uh, hit the bird. threw a pitch and hit Exploded a bird. In like if you've never seen this footage, it's one of the greatest moments in sports history. And when 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 you say Randy Johnson exploded a bird, it looks like someone put like a debt charge inside of a down pillow and then just exploded it in midair. In midair, it's you got to watch it. It's yeah, great. It's unbelievable.
0: <laughs> and to me, growing up, my has always was that everyone thought of sports as like the most masculine thing ever to both follow and watch and i liked sports despite that yeah i like sports yep. despite that um and so it is just like massively i feel like i'm in bizarre world to see <laughs> yeah. the same people who would have been like you suck at sports you know chain <laughs> to me growing up to try to say that i'm not masculine being like only cucks watch sports like <laughs>
1: You have to admit, though, there's something hilarious about them being like, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, being like this doesn't mean anything like there's no, there's no like real struggle here. It's just all for entertainment. And you're it's, like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, dude. Like all those times that you base your entire identity and already have your whatever Steelers casket ordered and just like waiting for you in the basement. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, man, they make an exception for MMA because I think Joe Rogan, yeah, <laughs>
1: Oh man, there's a, I was driving an order around Whitestown and there's a UFC fighting gym uh, that just opened over there. And my first, my first and only thought was, that will be so much more convenient to serve warrants in this county. <laughs> Actually, I have to say, you should try it. No, no. To, my nose is my nose is perfect genetically. Okay. My okay. teeth are perfect genetically. I've never had a correction to either. And I ain't I ain't tempting fate, okay. baby!
0: I was saying that like all the women I know who've tried MMA have absolutely loved it. Um, that there is a growing, yeah. a burgeoning, and growing women's uh, mixed martial arts community uh, that can be extremely fun and extremely cool. And by the way, MMA is also extremely practical.
1: Um, I'm I'm way too like like fundamentally okay. angry of a person to get in there and like not do like litigious amounts of damage. You know what uh, I mean? I don't bite? know. Does Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm going to holy field all around that bitch. Um I wonder if it's kind of like, you know, in the in no matter in the in any state you can't sue for a horseback riding accident because of the inherent risks of the sport. Uh,
0: oh, there are I all wonder- sorts of waivers. Oh yeah.
1: I wonder if there's uh, anything like that for MMA, I would assume.
0: Yeah, you have to sign all sorts of waivers to do that. It's uh, the legal principle assumption of risk that you yeah. are well warned that this yeah. is a dangerous thing to do. Uh, but it it all cracks me up. And you know, every time I try to find some sort of coherent ideology or thought process, I just like, I'm sorry, Ross that I'm sorry, uh, no. like Andrew Sullivan. Yeah. It just. It, it, it just isn't
1: there. It's not there. It's not there. There's there's nothing like libertarianism sounds. We're we're finally circling all the way back around to our topic here, but like there is nothing in libertarianism uh, that like benefits a society. I'm so sorry, and like all I want to say to all these people and these federalist society douchebags is like I. No one is sorrier that you are part of society than I am. Trust me. Like no one would prefer for you to be an island in your cabin in the woods or whatever. But I'm sorry you're here. You came to be here because of vaccines and Jonas Salk and a bunch of people who stayed on uh, picket lines for you that now you would call cucks to their faces, even though they're the reason you have a weekend, you know. I'm so sorry that you were born, a, born in a society, but <laughs> this is where we are. And similarly to the fact that I know as a democratic socialist, we will never leave capitalism behind. You, royal you, Federalist Society nutjob and its fandom and its army, its K-pop army, uh, you were born in a society and you have to stay and you have to contribute. And I, I'm, I, I wish it were not true for you even more than you do
0: amen to that <laughs> I, I feel that um and but speaking of things that i'm feeling you know what i'm feeling right now now that i uh, can now that i have more time and focus to eat something more than just uh frozen pizza i'm feeling like uh maybe
1: i'm gonna have some hot honey what do you think fuck yeah i think that you should order some from a person i know metalhoney.com <laughs> Uh, as it's, it's spelled the way it sounds metal and honey, because it was supposed to be a jewelry company and that is not how life do. So here we are.
0: But Uh, I like
1: metal honey because you know,
0: you're pretty fucking metal. You sell honey. Yeah.
1: Also, what I like about it is the, the product itself actually like follows, uh, the way that metal heats up. So the spiciest one is like a glowing orange, like a, Mm. like a hot, you know, forged piece of metal. So we're, we're getting there.
0: I like that. And uh, it is delicious. I did make that. uh, I did make my honey garlic za'atar chicken with uh, using scorpion honey. And I have to say, it was – I had to add – when I first tasted it, I realized that I did need a little more acid. Uh, to try to balance out the heat and a little sweetness. So I shoved a tangerine up the chicken's butt. Perfect. And the, oh, the balance was amazing because the skin was like spicy and crispy and and a little (laughs) sweet, but then the inside was just like super, the meat itself was like super juicy and succulent. it's like
1: a, it's like a vegan or it's it's like a, you know, a crunchy beer can chicken, you know, that, that you're just putting a big wet thing under it.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, you can use uh, Scorpion Honey and its uh, and, and its uh, sister products in a variety of ways, and it, it really does, I think, make you be creative about how you put things together.
1: This reminds me; uh, I did want to put one actual cooking tip on the Perpetual Stew podcast, which is: if you're going to grill and you're having anything—a a beverage, a dessert, a savory food with lemon or lime on it. Stick those lemons and limes, cut them into quarters, put them on the grill. You gotta grill them up on the outside. It will change your life. It's so delicious. It Do is amazing.
0: That is a great piece of advice because that is one hundred percent true.
1: Mm. They've all got a little bit of sugar in them, and it gets a little bit of char on there, and it's just magical. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, and even if you don't like lemons, you'll like them this way.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. my 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 beautiful sweet man um, made a lemonade by just he just blended the whole fucking lemon in a blender and it was kind of like it was absolutely it would have been made the most delicious base for a cocktail but if you did that with uh like some egg white and shake it up it would it makes this like velvety like smooth kind of thick with a little bit of bitter in it and then the the white egg white would would make some froth on there check it out just just google it
0: that sounds like a great idea and i feel like you could you could pour that you could mix that with pretty much
1: anything right yeah and it's like it is it has like such a thick kind of velvety i hate the word mouthfeel but that's the only word that applies but like it would be so good as the base of like an egg you know like an egg white base cocktail so try
0: it Ooh, yeah and i i could see that also if you mixed it with like some blended ice
1: yes oh my god yes like a tiki drink yeah let it melt together yum oh man now i'm like okay i gotta get some lemons (laughs) (laughs) Grill can- them and just put the whole damn thing in the blender.
0: I know. That's what I might do. Uh, Benny, I think we're going to the store. I think we're <laughs> going to get some lemons. Uh, that's going to do it. Uh, for- oh, sorry. So, yeah. Metalhoney.com.
1: Yes. Uh, buy oh, it. Oh, uh, I'm I'm going to make a, a podcast or a, a coupon code. So, we'll do the perpetual. Just put perp stew. Perp, perp, perp stew. stew. Yeah. Since that's our tag on everything. So... <laughs> Coupon code Stew, and we'll do a 10% off discount for orders over $25.
0: There you go. So metalhoney.com, discount code Stew, Get 10% (laughs) off uh, your orders over $25. Uh, That's going to do it for us this week. Please like, subscribe, share. You can uh, yell at us on Twitter, at Stew. You can find us on Facebook, all those fun places. And if you like it, uh, please leave a review. That really helps us with the algorithm. Uh, for, uh, yeah I think that's all the things <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming in uh, this has been the Perpetual Stew I'm Matthew Goodman I'm Sarah Merle and until next time stay curious bye